Hey guys, welcome to the Valley Lawyers Podcast. I'm Tayshan Dwyer. I'm Asahan Mikyun. I'm Aydin Sabaipo. And today we have a special guest with us, my good friend. Victor as UBK. Hi guys. So Victor, tell us, um, what do you do at So I work at JP Morgan. I work in their markets and platform sales. Um, and I help facilitate, as a manager's investment trust in particular, with their business um, operational and technological advancements. You, sound, you made it sound like a proper brochure. I love that. I do. A proper brochure. I'm a salesperson, man. Um, to be fair, like I've known Victor since 2015. We met at Warwick. Um, I consider him a good friend, even though he doesn't respond to my texts. I do respond. <laughs> <laughs> I responded today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes, it takes a while to respond to my texts, but I've always admired Victor. We've had a really good relationship. And for me, what really stood out uh, to, what really stood out to me about Victor was his entrepreneurial side, his interest in finance and banking, etc., but also the big human side to him, i.e. his interest in social mobility, his interest in wanting to give back to his communities, and balancing those interests with wanting to find a, a progressive career and finding the time to do everything together. Get the bag. Exactly that. Um, so we're going to jump into like a big question, but my big question um, initially. So for you personally, what do you think defines a young professional, or a modern young professional, to be exact? Yeah, I think it's weird, right, because... We, we've entered and um, we're entering our careers at a point where we've kind of had like the the, the exodus of kind of like reg- regulation now impacting various industries right so I'm in finance and a lot of people talk about the good old days so like pre-2008 pre-2007 and now you're kind of at a pendulum where regulation swung the other way so the young professional in that context has to kind of be able to um, navigate uncertainty you have to be able to understand kind of the complexities of the relationships now that you're working with in terms of cross-border transactions in terms of globalization technology how all of those things are impacting each other um so i think you have to be a lot more flexible. I don't think any of us, I think kind of according to McKinsey's Global Institute, I think over the next 50 years, the young professional under the age of 25 will have minimum four career changes. Um, so I think there's a level of kind of flexibility that a young professional needs to have. So they're going to be defined by how they navigate uncertainty and how flexible they are in terms of their cognitive processes and understanding of industries. If that makes sense. No, it's not sense. Just a lot of big words. No, big answer. It makes a lot of sense. You're going to jump in this one, yeah? In terms of, oh, just to build on to your answer, in terms of flexibility, you said a young professional has to be more flexible based in this current environment. Yeah. How does the young person gain the skills to be flexible? Is it just through their work? Does yeah, it happen yeah, passively? Yeah. Or yeah. Do, do you feel they have to go outside and maybe read a little bit more or do some other social skills yeah. which will help them? I said these important skills. That's a good question. I think, it's the, I think we're, we're at a very dangerous position a lot of times when a lot of us who go to university that study one subject because you go study one subject very much by the time you've kind of like graduated or a year into your job you've kind of learned this niche skill set um, and it, it makes it a lot of difficult for you to kind of maintain that flexibility that allows you to kind of like move on in your careers there's a book by um, David Epstein called Range and in it he talks about how now the world's going to be characterized by people who have um different skill sets or generalists as opposed to specialists right because technology is moving to a point where robots and automation are going to kind of like become so mature and so processed in the sense that they're going to be able to kind of do the specialist skills but the people that are able to kind of like hold on to the kind of emotional intelligence the eq as people call it and also have the um the fq the flexibility quotient they're also going to be the ones that are going to do well um so a lot of people now are kind of like rising or kind of like a raised uh, what's the word? Um, Rising. I don't know. Ascending. You don't know the word. Ascending. But a lot of people are now um, 
a lot of people are now kind of like proposing um, that we get more into liberal arts degrees as opposed mm-hmm. to particular niches and um, because a lot of the time the jobs um, that we potentially want to the jobs that we potentially be doing in 20 years at this moment in time don't exist mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. once again moving back to McKinsey um, the the global managing officer said that the, the rate of change has never been will never be this low right so so if you think about how quick things are going now he said it will never be this slow so it's just going to so links to this links to the whole flexibility and having maybe appreciate liberal liberal arts etc or maybe having studying something different to what you're practicing um, in your career from my understanding you did what politics on the ground politics yeah and now you're doing banking at jp yeah do you feel that's giving you some sort of springboard because it's not directly um Related to what you do, yeah. do you feel you give you different insights to maybe your peers who did something more financially banking based? Well, it depends, right? Because it depends on how you how you see the world, right? You can be fundamental, you can be macro. I, I, I'm kind of more macro, so I think politics and economics drive the markets, right? So, so ultimately, you're looking at kind of situations like Iran and the USA, right? You saw how the how once kind of like the the US government launched their missiles, the the, the price of oil shot up, right? So these two these things have kind of like cataclysmic impact on certain kind of like commodities and certain prices that we're looking at. Um, so I, I see kind of a, a, a niche skill set and the one thing that's probably most important is your ability to learn, relearn, unlearn, relearn and learn again. I think that's the most important thing. I, I, I think particular degrees provide that to you. Um, and if they do, then you can do them. If not, then I think you need to kind of like start to engender that process into your career early on. At JP, uh, do you find that a lot of your uh, colleagues who started with you or in, in more or less the same stage as you, they have a diverse set of degrees and things like that? I think it's, it's interesting, right? Because um, a lot of... So in EMEA, we have a lot of people coming from Europe. Yeah. And the, um, a lot of the European, my European colleagues, they study like masters in finance, degrees in finance. They do their degree in finance, their masters in finance, then they come and do trading, right. wherever they come and do. But I think in the way the British education is set up, you have people that do art, history, mm. geography, politics, law, whatever. So I think there's a bit more of a kind of um, cognitive flexibility for those people that have done different degrees and then come into finance. Um, but I would say all of them have the, um, like this all-encompassing understanding of the ability to, to literally drop an idea that they've hold on to for like three months and pick up another one like almost like on a split of the dial and I think that's the kind of pressing factor Do you know I find I see parallels um, with the legal profession with now with law firms you have 50% law students 50% yeah. non-law students mm-hmm. you have those who said do non-law subject do the GDL and they, they have to as you said pick up a new skill quickly within a year yeah. and do the RPC then even with your training contract you have a seat in a corporate department see in the capital market department you have to pick up a old no, pick up a new school and drop it drop the old school simultaneously um so you, you can see parallels at least with the law with the legal profession yeah and this is probably common across the corporate sector as a whole yeah and it, and it also it also changes in seniority the skills you require right because a lot of the time for us at, at, at our junior levels a lot of the time it's kind of like very niche tasks that we're doing, right? But the more senior you become, like I can imagine with most partners, partners are literally business development in, 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 in the kind of grand scheme of things, right? They're bringing in the clients, bringing in the business because they are part of the partnership, which is the same with managing directors. And the skills you need to be a very good, let's say, um, 
training to this time, a very good partner, very different because you need emotional intelligence as a partner to be able to kind of speak to a client, bring on business. Because like, why should I go to you when I can go to this law firm that that I went to uni with this guy? Like, what can you bring? Being able to articulate kind of like the the value proposition of your firm is important, which is the same thing that JP Morgan have to do when we're looking for IPOs, when we're looking to bring on clients for our business. One other thing I was thinking as well, um, if is there a trend towards flexibility? This is a question just for the floor general is there a trend towards flexibility so that means we lose specialists and then what is the impact of us maybe not having as many specialists if, if you have a jack of all trades and a master of none where, where do we see that going in terms of the type of ideal employee we have or the way business will be conducted do you feel like that's even a major issue or do you feel like naturally there'll still be some specialists throughout what do you guys think big question I know Generally, I feel like people react to change differently. Mm. So I think that's the key thing. So remember, with age flexibility and people staying in work longer, the more specialists can stay in while the new flexible people transition. So the reality is within a business, the younger people tend to be more innovative. So we spark them. There's no reason why we can't do that and continue that trend going forward to have positive outcomes. Oh, makes sense. So going off of that... Um, Victor, this is directed at you. So would you say you're more entrepreneurial? So you see things that you want to develop within your business or you're more entrepreneurial? So you see that you benefit from being outside of a business and you think of the bottom line and how you can get there yourself? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm interested in both, right? Because I think ultimately you have to, especially in this this day and age, right, where the, I think the average lifespan of a business or a company is about five, six years, right? Mm-hmm. You, we, I'm working on an organisation that's kind of started off in the in the early nineteenth, in the early twentieth century, right? So nineteen, I think of nineteen. I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> uh, but yeah, started off with a company then, and like to be able to change and to be able to kind of navigate the different environments is is super super important for for me potentially to think about kind of like what does longevity and what does legacy look like right and ultimately the reason why jp morgan and does so well is because we're able to kind of like be measured and be very risk kind of like risk factored but also understand kind of like what what will, what will the future look like 10 years 15 years from now right and because they have the framework and the systems to do that, it's important for me to also understand that and navigate that as well. Like, we did really well from the financial crash. Honestly, right? We did really well because we were able to kind of manage our risk and also understand that this is an opportunity as well. If you, if you invest correctly, then you're provided with opportunities. For example, when Warren Buffett says, um, you buy when there's blood in the streets, right? When, when things are manic, if you've managed yourself correctly, you're able to kind of get prices that you would potentially never get in a boom market. So I say that all the same. In, in, in my entrepreneurial idea is, is I'm very interested in, in, in Africa I'm very interested in social mobility like Tash said at the very beginning um, and I'm very interested in kind of like how do we serve underserved communities right and, and I'm learning more and more in JP Morgan about kind of like in terms of in terms of business management in terms of um, financial responsibility in terms of economic kind of like policy and I'm being able in some ways to teach that to my immediate family and also to my friends in my immediate community as well um, so I'll say I'm a bit of both but I think by the virtue of me being very very junior in my career I have to also honour the responsibility that I'm provided with at JP Morgan um, so that means I would say I'm probably shifting more towards entrepreneur at this moment in time if yeah. that makes sense um, what's interesting as well is you spoke about your learning skills at your company but then you're also translating the knowledge you have to those in your family or your peers and your friends etc so that's an insight I, I didn't even think about even for me like little things I'm learning during my LPC nothing extremely specialised now but 
if I get a nugget of knowledge, I may pass it to my to my girlfriend or to my mum, etc. So even when you look at these careers, um, it can benefit those around you because you're picking up skills. You just you, you're just passing naturally in conversation, which is extremely interesting. Facts. And also linked to because I know you, you know you said um, right now you lean towards more entrepreneurial within your business, etc. Um, what scope do you think there is at work for you to like bring new ideas? I I think we should do this or like this is really interesting. What do you guys think about this as a strategy going forward? Is there a lot of is there a lot of scope for you to do that? Not just within your company, but within the sector as a whole. Or do you feel like because you're a junior, it's more okay, learn, take notes, and then maybe when when I'm, when I'm a little bit more senior, I can express these ideas. Yeah, I, I think kind of at the core yes because it's very difficult with regulation right but the one thing that young that we have that we're almost very mindful of right is we're at the kind of at the epoch of a um financial wealth transfer that is unprecedented right so between the baby boomers and the millennials that that transfer of wealth is going to be crazy so we're going to be the future kind of politicians the businessmen the ceos um the people driving the change driving the agenda and we think very, very differently to the way baby boomers think about, right? So you, I don't know if you saw a couple of days ago, Lawrence Fink, um, the CEO of BlackRock, released his, his letter to shareholders. And in it, he talks about how sustainability and climate change needs to become an investment factor. It's not like mm. it needs to be on the fringe. It needs to be at the very center of how we think about investment, right? Um, and a lot of people, I'm not saying all, oh, I'm not generalizing, but a lot of baby boomers aren't necessarily... Um, that way inclined in terms of their investments but we are like i don't know about you guys but i, I invest in funds and i'm and i think about the sustainability of the company i'm investing in i think about okay what are they actually doing are, are they spilling um oil into um, the ocean are they actually kind of being um responsible to all their stakeholders not just their final shareholders how are they kind of like seeing their responsibility in the community and in society and when we start to think about that on mass i think that will generate a lot of change so i think that's where the idea comes in now because a lot of my clients now as asset managers are now thinking about esg so environmental social governance like for them it doesn't necessarily mean anything but when they keep on having investors knocking on their door and saying listen we're not going to do any business with you if you guys don't think about esg then it becomes somewhat of a kind of revenue factor for them yeah. right and then you're, you're looking inside the organizations like who, who has a clue as to what esg is who can speak on it and then you're like I can like yeah I just read a book or my friend was talking about the sustainable fund they were investing in you feel me so I feel like there there's scope to definitely kind of like set the agenda and no one has a monopoly on the future no one knows what it looks like so there is free game for anyone who kind of like has who has processed thoughts who has kind of like convinced themselves of a certain strategy through kind of like arduous learning arduous kind of reassessment of the facts and then they're able to kind of like okay say okay this is from basis of, of what I've seen in the past and from basis of kind of like how I see industry trends moving now, this is my informed opinion of what this might look like, right? And then from there, you can kind of like enter in conversations with people that you probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. Um, I want to touch on something you alluded to, i.e. now your clients, investors, and now asking what is their, what, how sustainable is their projects, et cetera, et cetera. So with that, is there an economic trade-off, i.e. we'll be more sustainable, but we're going to see less returns. And in doing so, one, there's a whole idea of, okay, short-term, long-term. Short-term, long-term. And then there's the idea of, is that the best financial move? Because you said less returns. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, for example, you, you you would be insane if you don't have in your investment portfolio the FANGs, right? So the FANGs is F A. A-N-G. So the fans are Facebook, Apple, Alphabet, Netflix, 
uh, and Google. But Google is alphabet. But you like you would be insane if you don't have them in your thing. But then we've Amazon, sorry. So it's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. You like you need to have those because to be fair, the S and P five hundred, which is on a record high, is being mainly kind of like driven by its investment technology, by the technology kind of cats, right? But if you look at it from a governance perspective there's a lot of kind of like conversations as to the way in which they provide voting rights for shareholders right so i, I know if you if you if you have certain shares normally you should have been be able to vote in their agms but a lot of these tech firms don't provide you with those voting rights right they, they provide you like share b non-voting rights and then the shit the shareholders the mark zuckerbergs of the world they have all the voting rights so therefore they call into question governance but if you speak to anyone they're like no we'll put that into my put that into my uh, my portfolio but obviously there's certain governance concerns again with environmental concerns is is that who are the like the the two biggest oil companies in the world that's the question are you telling me the two biggest oil, oil companies in the world shell so, huh? mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia man. no shell and bp oh, shell and bp oh, are the two biggest oil companies in the world but who are the, who are the two biggest investors in sustainable in, in renewable resources can you tell me shell and bp well? shell and bp so so they're future proofing that surely that yeah yeah 100 yeah. but yeah. then if you say to people okay oil producer like, i want to invest in um renewable energy right though that that's what i want my fund to look like then a lot of the time you're not going to encounter you're not going to take account of shell and bp because they're oil producers but then if you look at it from who's investing the most in renewable resources it's shell and bp so there's a conversation there as to kind of like how you kind of navigate that as well but you know what i find interesting because you know earlier you said there's no monopoly over the future yeah but then I look at Shell and BP as those having a, two companies having a monopoly over the past and present. But if they're going to invest in renewables, surely because they have that financial backing, the financial clout, theoretically, do they not have um, monopoly over the future already? They, you they, see that with a lot of things. You see it with tobacco companies as well. So they have a monopoly over the past and present, but I'm pretty sure they're going to be investing in um, um, vaping or like nicotine alternatives etc so it's even the idea of I know this is sort of as an aside but even the idea of having a monopoly over no not having a monopoly over the future is that really true based on the capital these guys have supported them to invest in these future products that's, that's, that's an amazing point but it's based on also kind of like what they do with the capital in R&D right so if they get the same people with the same ideas to kind of run their R&D business and they're not really that in in innovative or innovation focused then potentially they're going to come with the same outcomes when you've got three guys in in a garage in silicon valley thinking about how they can kind of like use um hydrotherm hydrothermal power to kind of like power um electricity and they're using it from from a place of no they're, they're not they're coming from a place of kind of general just curiosity right and just providing value for society if that scales if they get if they get seed if they get funding that can potentially become a billion dollar industry straight away and then they can just eclipse market economy and i say that all to say what the guy at mckinley said is the the, the pace of change in this world has never been will never be this slow so people can scale ideas very 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 quick and i think we're sometimes a lot of the time because we're very kind of inertia focused we look at these big companies and we think they can't go down people said that about Lehman like people said Lehman Brothers cannot go down like it's it's impossible and here we are JP Morgan is using their building so entrepreneurial versus entrepreneurial then we branch off in terms of the future and there's no monopoly in the future etc um and we spoke about um sustainable investment etc and similar to this but slightly different is the idea of CSR i.e <laughs> corporate social responsibility and supporting your community, society, etc., etc., etc. How do you feel CSR has been 
deployed in your I don't say your business in your sector um what's your what's your insights as a whole and then what how do you feel they, they can improve mm. uh, broad question so, I know so, broad yeah, difficult yeah. question so my insight right my insight as as a as a member of a capitalist society is that CSR is just a front in the capital in the capitalism that we have now. It it doesn't make any sense where the number one thing you're being driven by is the the profit motive to have CSR. Right? It, it makes good branding, but it doesn't necessarily make sense because ultimately, at the end of the day, any business your main shareholder or stakeholder is your shareholder. So as long as you provide value to your shareholder, you've done your job. Right. Mm-hmm. The business roundtable, which is chaired, which was chaired up until I think the end, start of this month by Jamie Dimon, who's my CEO, basically proposed that idea that we need to have multiple stakeholders, right? So individuals that use the organisation, not just the shareholders, that people that own shares, individuals in the society in which that company is in are also stakeholders, right? So when you have a multi-stakeholder approach, then it changes the landscape. It doesn't just become about the profit motive; it also becomes about kind of CSR, kind of that like related themes, right? And on that basis. Then it is if it's if it's like that, then it, it makes sense to have a CSR approach because, in the essence of kind of like maybe for example, let's say getting getting talent right, mm. you're not gonna look at your odd twenty universities in the UK that already kind of like vet them for you. You're gonna go go elsewhere. You're gonna see people who have done maybe apprenticeships. You're gonna look at people who, for one reason or not, couldn't do go to university but show promise in other other areas, right? Um, and there, that's what I'm excited about. So the sign, what the indication I got from you is that for CSL to work, we need to be a, almost like a multi-stakeholder approach. I right? look at everyone who touches the organisation, and that's how CSR can work. So right now, are you alluding to the idea that CSR isn't efficient or doesn't really work right now because the the way we conceive capitalism doesn't allow us to consider multiple stakeholders? Or do you, and also do you see how do you see that changing? How long uh, would it even change? Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I don't know if you guys have been seeing the news, but there, a lot of people have been calling out for a reformation of, of capitalism as a whole, right? It, it, it's yeah. to a point where it's like, this doesn't make sense, right? Like, like a lot of the things that, coming from the kind of like aspect of, of America, right, which is kind of like the, 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 the hotbed of, of capitalism at the moment, um, a lot of people would say okay if you work hard enough then you'll get on in life and then you'll be provided with the benefits that capitalism provides right there are so many people working families that are not being provided with the basics and they're working right so that defeats that notion at the very start um and then you've got big organizations now that are controlling crazy flows of money like blackrock recently i think it was yesterday came out financial times they now have seven trillion assets under management seven trillion Seven trillion, ah, in this life, have money or um, seven trillion because like that is that's crazy, that that's that's insane and and hats off to them, but really good, like it makes sense. I'll just say the only thing that I would say in maintaining this is that you need to make sure that you have that multi, you have that um, multi stakeholder approach, and also as well, the millennial generation think very differently to capitalism, having grown up in the wake of a financial crisis as well. Whether or not we 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 kind of like all about get the bag get our money we still have some sort in our subconscious and understanding that we've seen what happens when capitalism goes wrong even though it didn't necessarily impact us we kind of see what it looks like right and, and a lot of those people that will eventually like run organizations will kind of think like that as well um but corporate social responsibility is necessary it provides it's, it's amazing for reputational risk as well because it, it helps in that capacity 
um but yeah i think a, a larger macro change will then kind of like make csr more um attractive for organizations one thing i read about um which you wrote i think on one of your articles on linkedin when you had your five thoughts from yeah. where you went one of them was romanticizing the grind and you said said that that's something that is an issue yeah. do you think that falls into the same challenge of capitalism that people fall into the idea of working hard and you know smashing it as hard as they can yeah that's yeah. that's the ideal that's what you want to do yeah 100 it's like i don't know if you guys know gary v yeah like, like gary v speaks bears but like he's now kind of like reformed himself and become like a somewhat like a, a healthy capitalist right and it's so weird because like the number one rev- like the number one shocking idea of like all hustlers last year was like sleep's important yeah. <laughs> it's like wait what <laughs> like, that's like the basic thing your your parents tell you is get a good night's sleep, right? There's now a book called Why We Sleep because it's got to an epidemic where people are like, no, get your four hours in. Oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll do this. Let me do an all-nighter. All of that, like the scientists show that that's unsustainable. Um, and I'd say romanticizing the grind, grind also comes into context of how we view capitalism, right? It's like, for example, when you first meet someone, which is what we all do, it's like, oh, what do you do? What's your name? And then what do you do? Yeah. As opposed to like, what do you like? Or, or, um, how, who's in your family? Like, how, it's like, what do you do? Like, how can I, where do I put you into this system of understanding my your hierarchy in, in, in this kind of like society? And that's based on ultimately your profession, yeah. which is so weird. Um, so I think um, a healthier version of capitalism will lead to uh, will lead to other thoughts in terms of multi stakeholder multi stakeholder approaches will lead to kind of like us not romanticizing the grind right because there there's also kind of like an inefficient output of people right so you've got people that are amazing would be amazing politicians but they're in investment banking because that's where the money they feel like that's where the money is right yeah. that is where the money is right? triggered yeah. triggered gone is that where the money is right? yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. the thing is. And this is this is one of the last points that I, I want to talk about. So we talked about we spoke about entrepreneurship was entrepreneurship. So if we're talking about entrepreneurs who work for JP Morgan and could be amazing politicians, would it not make sense to understand financial institutions that are going to regulate? Remember, governments don't pay the attractive salaries and they're not as alluring to people who are going to spark the change and affect the markets in a positive way like yeah. if you think about how slow regulators are in general yeah, yeah. why is this you can't attract the talent who are going to sh- make the cog work in the way it should yeah so in that sense i definitely disagree like yeah. they have to it's almost like they have to stay in there for the right amount of time where they can take their skills and affect the market positively or society as a whole yeah, yeah. and whether that's social responsibility and making that work we don't know or whether yeah. it's investing in environmental change because they can and they're at a business where they spark the change a lasting name and reputation you never know no it's fair it's, it's fair it's a fair point and i say that because like you to, to convince someone at the height of their career yeah in, in, in let's say corporate law <laughs> or investment banking to then take let's say potentially 60 70 80 pay cut and then go into politics that's a very 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 stark obligation but then also in the organization as well but at the end of the day, but then I say this would say, you are ultimately driven by your shareholders. So if we change the shareholder approach and have a multi-stakeholder shareholder approach, you don't have to just think about that family office that needs a return, a 20% return. You also have to think about that family office, but also that single parent that's living in, down the road. Like, for example, if you take into account, let's say, certain parts of, of Canary Wharf. Canary Wharf is in Tower Hamlets. Tower Hamlets is the most deprived borough in London, one of the top four deprived um, regions in the United Kingdom right but if if we don't kind of like op- operate or have some sort of multi-stakeholder approach that takes into account our neighbors 
quote unquote because it is kind of like separated if you don't take into account take into account them it becomes very very difficult to just answer to that or at least in your consciousness to just answer to that family family office if that makes sense but i, I agree like bro I'm, I'm i'm there as well man I'm, I'm hoping we can drive change we can push agendas we can control cash flow and it's important to do that as well I'm trying to think. I agree with you. I'm I'm trying to. I feel pessimistic, but we're relying on those with power to open our eyes, check their shoulders left, check their shoulders right, and say, "Okay, yeah, cool." There's there's other people next to us who will benefit from a more holistic policy or strategy to our business, etc. Um, one thing I want to touch on before we go into our next topic is that you spoke about um, glamorizing the grind, etc. I.e., four hours sleep which isn't sustainable. But what I found interesting, what, what I've been thinking all the time is that you also lose to the fact that um, employees are now going to have various career changes with, throughout their, the period of their career, i.e. they're not just going to stay at one company for the period of time. So if an individual is more likely to work for maybe four businesses or five or whatever, I always feel that they're probably going to be less inclined to grind and hustle because they don't have that emotional tie to company anymore because then you're going to be there for four five years it's okay cool where's my next bag what's next what's next i may travel for a bit whereas maybe previously 20 years ago where i did see my career or this company as my career i feel like the idea of glamorizing grind is more sustainable so when the way we speak about this change i.e oh why are people valuing sleep now why are people why do people not want to glorify the grind is because i feel our approach to careers, our approach to our, our employer has changed. Do you guys see where I'm coming from? Or? I feel you. I think, but I think there's also like a... In, in that, we almost kind of like underestimate the integrity of that particular employee, right? So so even if they know for four years I'm going to be here, let me not really hustle to that extent. I think that's kind of like doubting their integrity because you never know. They could get to the organisation and say, I need a reference in four years' time from you, Right. I'm going to give you my blood, sweat and tears for the next four years in exchange for that reference to, let's say, go to do my master's or to go to this organisation, which is a lot of time how it's worked, right? A lot of kind of to go to, let's say, if you want to um, kind of like the most attractive, understand, the most kind of like accurate understanding I can give in a law firm is like working at an MC, Magic Circle firm, and then spinning out once you've trained to go to an American firm, right? But I think that's kind of like what a lot of people do, right, to get the bag. I don't know if I'm sorry if that's like what you're trying to do, but do your thing in it. But <laughs> so it's tight, it's tight, it's tight in here. It's hot as well. But anyway, um, like so, I say that to say because ultimately, when you do that, right, you need a reference, right? That person's also gonna hit, hit up the HR, hit up the partner, and be like, "Yo, like, how's my man been when he was with you guys? Like, was he good? Was he not good? What can you say about him? Can you vouch for him? Yes, no, this, that, and and ultimately, that will kind of like then have decision as to kind of whether or not they'll take you." that makes sense right so i think there's a certain level of integrity you have to have personally for your for you and your output of work so that even if you go on to another career and someone brings up your name and that organization you was in previously like yeah but he's really good like he's really really good like, i would take him back in a heartbeat for example um so yeah so i think i think career changes make sense but it's but that flexibility doesn't at any point take away from the hustle if that makes sense it that just sense. prolongs the hustle as well because more time as well like some of the men that we know that have done said four i like, yeah don't sleep for i've only slept four hours a day this this that them i'm burned out after five years like i've i've seen man burn out after like a year in the job like some people i started with have quit I hate to say that. like like it, it's not a sustainable approach it's not sustainable especially when we're living longer why are you going to kill yourself in your in your late twenties, early thirties, and you still have to live the rest of your life 
Please don't kind of die for that one. I'll say I'll let you eat that. Go and eat it. So you no, have no, go through, go through. You sure, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to cut, I can cut it out if you want. No, I want to have it near me. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so let me pause in a second. True. Okay, so now, branching off, we spoke about um, CSO in a business. So now we're looking outside of okay. your, Let's get in the bag, your yeah. business. Yeah. So, and this will, this will tie into the second theme. So how do you translate CSO or social mobility outside of work? So regardless of what work is. And then this ties into the, to another theme is, is there, is there a trade-off, i.e. do you feel like you're selling yourself or giving your best, your best self to your employer and you're not allowed to give back to your community? So it's, it's two broad questions, i.e. Yeah. what are you doing outside of work? And how do you balance that moral dilemma? Are you giving your best self to your employer? Yeah. Broad question, I understand. Okay, so we can start with the first one um, in terms of CSR outside of work. Um, I'll say it's weird. Like, I see myself like, and I, a lot of my friends I speak to, it's almost like a, like a corporate Robin Hood, right? So you kind of learn the lessons in the big organisation and then you kind of take it back to like your family and you're like, oh, but why didn't you invest that? Or do you know the magic of compound interest? Or diversification is king and stuff like that. So... I, I definitely see that ultimately, right? But my thing as well is kind of like um, growing up in a working class kind of like environment, then navigating kind of the state, then navigating kind of like different education systems. I've worked in, I've worked, sorry, I've, I went to school in a very, very, very underserved comprehensive school. I went to a very good um, sixth form, like um, one of the best comprehensive sixth forms in, in the UK. Then I went to Russell Group University. So I've seen kind of like the different avenues of how education looks. Um, and ultimately that's kind of like how I want to kind of like give back so I, I run a book club for young black boys um, young black boys and young working class boys as well um, in Edslington which is probably one of the most <laughs> unequal boroughs in the United Kingdom in the world if the boroughs are cat- categorised outside of the United Kingdom but um, yeah so, so that's how I kind of like decide to give back then on the second point which you was talking about CSR like the trade dilemma yeah um, like to be fair you always have to facilitate kind of like working learning skills right being able to work in very very well oiled organisations that have kind of been ticking along very well they have a certain practice that you need to learn but then also being able to translate that into your own life, right? I'm sure you guys have probably become a lot more kind of like disciplined and focused and organized as a result, kind of like going through your career, um, even through studying as well. So being able to kind of navigate that and kind of like implement that yourself, that's important. Um, but that, that it doesn't necessarily linger because I know at the back of my mind, all that I'm doing is serving a purpose. Everything I'm learning is serving a purpose. I might not see it now, I might see it in 10 years or 15 years time when I'm able to give advice to someone in my shoes um, to, to how to navigate a career um, but I think it's, it's it is difficult it's something you have to question especially kind of like when you have when we have different understandings of what capitalism and what life should, and what society should look like when you kind of like do go to these certain organisations um, but I think it isn't something that should deter anyone from going there because you learn a crazy amount of skills I don't think you learn elsewhere so sorry you're going to jump in what was your motivation for, for you know trying to help people and doing the mentoring and starting the book club yeah it's it's because, like it's weird i've got my best friend is serving about i think he, he's looking at potentially 18 19 years in prison well like, i'm not going to go into kind of the case but it's so weird because like me and him i got screwed in more times than him i got kicked out of school more times than him if anything on like paper i was worse than him right in terms of like get who was going to get kicked out of school at year nine 
it was me and then him, right? But the only thing is, I was relatively smart. So they kept me in school because you know the league table at the time, they need those people that can get those A star to C's and I was one of those people, thank God for my mum. <laughs> but my boy wasn't. My boy got kicked out and I saw the link between education and or lack of education and involvement in the, in the criminal justice system, right? Like, it's, it's so intrinsically linked or positively correlated that you might as well, once a child gets excluded from school, you might as well take them by the hand and walk them to their closest youth justice system because that's where they're going to end up potentially, right? If, if the statistics always remain true. And I saw that and I, I see the youngsters in my area like, you guys, it's like you don't know. It's like you don't know what's coming. Like, yeah. imagine, like, how would you speak to someone if you got word that a tsunami's coming to this island, to an island, right? And you know, and none of them know. Like, you're going to speak to them like, bro, listen, yeah? yeah? Come, get out right now. And I'm doing it to them. And they're like, they don't get it. Like, they don't care. Like, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, bro, like, look at my snap. Oh, my God, the Balenciaga, like, sick, sick, sick. I'm like, yeah, cool, that's nice. But listen, we need to go. And I see that in the book club as well because I'm that you as well. I was like, why are we reading? Like, reading's not cool. Or like, when your boy is like turns up, turns the book away and like goes on his phone and you want to read, and I'm looking at him and he drops the book and he was like doing the same thing. I'm like, I get that, but then I also understand that. Listen, this world out here isn't kind to you. Like, it's, let's be honest, it's not kind to you. It's not. It's not supposed to be kind. It's not like happy go lucky. But also as well, you need to understand that there's a certain strategy in order to navigate outside of the the. the matrix as people like to call it and that's why kind of like i i want to um give back to these youths because it's it is an element of survival skill and me operating out of this survival skill and hoping that potentially what i've learned the humble knowledge i've gained being able to get um to gain i can give to these youths as well but that's kind of why you know i um i'm conscious of time so we're probably gonna wrap up and that's like what, two three minutes max um but i relate in two in two levels what you speak about so one the mentor and yes I do mentor but in, in terms of people from um, less well off less affluent backgrounds I look at my brother who's 12 years old um, grows up in a working class environment etc and his life is very much his immediate friends and it's trying to translate the importance of okay long term what's going to happen but the thing is my brother's only 12 years old so there's only so much you can say without him just completely zoning out or him being completely put off to focus and then he's really scared so yeah. being able to convey that message in, in, a, in a way that's material to them which, which they will hold on to is one of the biggest tasks and I feel that to be able to convey that you probably need people from a similar background to them but then you also need to convey the message in, in, a, in, a, palace, in a palatable manner yeah. but how, how is that manner? Is it, is it a book club? Is it a poster? Is it a youth club engagement? Is it some form of I don't know, an app? Mm. No, not an app is it um a profile on Instagram, etc. But trying to make it in a very palatable, palatable manner is probably the biggest challenge because they have all the skill set. They're really bright. Yeah. Or they, they have something about them. It's like just, just comprehend it, absorb it. That that's that's the yeah, hardest yeah. thing. I think it's it's so tough for you, right? Because to be fair, let's be honest. All of us in this room, yeah, to, to these youngers, we're neeks. Like like you might not good youths doing your thing. It doesn't matter how we came up. Doesn't matter what happened. That's why I get like untouched on that. I get really really angry at like celebrities and like rappers and footballers and stuff because it's like you guys don't know how influential you are to these younger generations. Like if if let's say dig that or or like I don't know one of these trap drill rappers that we have these days. Like if one of them turned around and said, "Yo, 
in one of their bars like yo listen reading that's lit like if you're not reading then you're a mug like that's on you in it kind of thing which j-house is weirdly doing now in his tweets i don't get it but anyway that's a topic it's tweets, yeah it's a whole topic yeah uh, but like if one of them said it it's like more profound than me saying it because i'm kind of not like i don't have that clout that they have in it um so i definitely get i definitely get that but it's just like i think there needs to be some sort of community accountability and it's like the people that a lot of the youngers who somewhat wrongly are kind of like impressed by should be able to be like yo this is the sick but then a lot of people throw in uh but should they be responsible for their audience that's my argument by the yeah. way but you know what i find, in- <laughs> no, I find interesting i feel like we can go full circle and probably cut it because people have lives to go back to however you know we speak about um the clout that these rappers or rappers or artists have i.e heady one jay huss Arby, whoever you think about if they were to take a multi-stakeholder approach and think about okay cool my financial back in the, the audience members who come but also those in these communities who are really affected then they may be able to convey that message in a way so you see how, how it comes to a circle so in the, in their business in the way they present themselves and market themselves having a multi-stakeholder approach could maybe enel- enable them to open up their message and still get money but yeah, yeah, do you know what i mean it'd be a trade-off for how they present themselves which is but then again it goes to the, like the the macro of capitalism as a whole and kind of like how we yeah, see yeah. them and the likes of heady ones should really know better <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> we're not accepting that okay. that was good isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but honestly for me that's a whole conversation for another day um but based on time i thought we we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap up so yo it's been sick man you guys are lit bro from us thank you so 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 much thanks for um, yeah guys thanks for tune in to our next episode which should be soon should be fun hope you guys enjoyed it thank you